The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to, uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 357 gonna take a slight break from the fantasy grind here and talk some mlb betting as uh, we've done this i think the last couple years now with this guest and we talk about props and everything from time to time on the show so no no better time than about three days from opening day to bring him back on the show you can find his work at ats radio uh he's the lead writer at ats.io he's doing work at bang the book and he's on twitter at skating tripods Adam Burke, Adam, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How you doing, buddy? I am doing great. It's good to talk to you again. Um, I think last time we were talking Indians and some other things, and things were looking good. Um, it's a little different in Cleveland these days, but you know it's not all lost. Like they still kind of pieced it together, and it's a central division, so it's not the end of the world. But before we get get into that and all that fun baseball stuff, plug away everything you got going on. I know I mentioned where to find you, but plug away all your good stuff first. Yeah, ATS Radio, uh, we're doing our last week of full shows here Monday through Friday. Next week, we'll kind of 
tone it down a little bit. I do a baseball show twice a week uh, up until the month of August. And, you know, I put together the 2021 MLB betting guide over at ATS.io, which is a season preview for all 30 teams, including a win total pick for all of them. Futures markets for the pennant world series and every division. Also some player futures stuff, uh, some stats that I use to handicap and bet on baseball. Really, really helpful tool. It's a very long read. Uh, so, you know, only three days here until opening day as we're recording. But, you know, whatever you get a chance to consume in that guide, I think will be beneficial for you. And it does have some fantasy impact to it as well, since I know that's, you know, most of uh, your target demo and a lot of people do that. Talking about, you know, pitch usage changes and some of the different things that teams are doing in terms of their offensive philosophies. So there's some good stuff in there for fantasy players as well. Yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. I perused some of it as I got ready to do the outline. And obviously, like if you have certain teams or certain questions or if you listen to the show today and then you go, hey, I want to go look at this potential over under or something, go check out the articles. Like they are really, really well done. And if you've listened to Adam before here or he was on our buddy Brian Seymour's podcast last week and everything, he obviously knows his stuff, especially from the betting side of things and just baseball in general. So uh, go check all that out. Before we do the podcast, I have to at least ask you, what's your what's your I guess, level of optimism for Cleveland this year? Well, um, I'm a Giants fan, so I understand. I understand. Right. Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, at least uh, we're not totally buried in our division like you guys are. Yeah. We're going to be there with the Dodgers and the Padres. But, you know, uh, to me, as somebody who, uh, as sad as this is to say, I've kind of lost some of my emotional fandom just because of how I study the game, you know, what my line of work is and all of that. So I sort of look at the Indians with more of a pragmatic approach of there are things to actually watch this year. You know, watching the development of Plesak, if he continues to develop, everyone seems to love Aaron Savale. You know, you've got Logan Allen and Cal Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie and all these guys at the back of the rotation. Then you have some new offensive pieces that at least have more upside than a lot of the guys that they had last year. So it's a team with a high floor with the pitching staff that they have with a quality bullpen but the offense will dictate the ceiling, and I'm not super optimistic about the offense. But you know they've got some guys with some interesting skill sets. Uh, you know they've got guys that walk, they've got guys that put the ball in play, they hit for a little bit of power. It wouldn't shock me if you know they go out there and win 87, 88 games. I think they're probably in that 83, 84 range when all is said and done. So if that's you know enough to be in the running for the second wild card spot, that's great. But I think this is definitely more of a transitional year for them as they wait for one of the better minor league systems in baseball to graduate some players to the big leagues. Yeah, they are looking a lot better than, say, three or so months ago when the whole Lindor stuff was going on and everything. The pitching staff was never really a concern for me. And, you know, as much as we love Cookie, it sucks to see him go, but it sucks to see the injuries as well. But the, the rotation, like you said, is still pretty solid. It was the offense. You know, you go on a roster resource in January, and you go, what? It reminded me of the movie Major League when it's like, who the F are these guys? And yeah. he's like, what's going on here? But then they piece it together. They piece it together pretty nicely. At least you got about six guys, maybe seven that you you're okay with running out there and seeing where it goes. So I think it's interesting in, in a division that's not completely up for grabs, but more up for grabs than other divisions. Like you wouldn't be shocked if the Twins or the White Sox still kind of hovered around eighty five to ninety wins, and you know you sneak into a second wild card, like you said. So it's not the end of the world. Just have Beaver do his thing, and please take the next step, and you'll be it'll be interesting at least. You'll have something to look forward to, like you said, the Giants. I'm just looking forward like two years from now. That's all. <laughs> That's where I'm at. They lose a hundred million dollars off the books this year, and then they'll lose another like thirty or forty next year, and then let the games begin. But it's going to be a, another rough couple years here um, for the Gigantes. But let's talk. Uh, we're going to do some basics MLB betting. And like I said, if if we don't cover something here, 
go listen to the Seymour podcast last week. They covered everything, like all the goodies there. Uh, Seymour's got a big betting background. We've been on the show and everything, and Adam obviously covered it well. But when you're talking MLB betting, Adam, what types of betting are you talking about? Because I know like there's money lines. There's there's technically a spread if you want to play the, the, the run line. Um, there's there's uh, first fives, full games. Can you just give a basic description of what guys are looking for? Yeah, you know, the, the first five market's gotten really, really popular here over the last few years because starting pitchers are such a big part of the handicap. You know, I mean, that that's what you know going into the game. You know who the starting pitcher is going to be. Once that game gets going, you don't know which relievers will be deployed. You don't know exactly how things will play out in the late innings. So a lot of people do the first five betting. It's something I've started to do some more of, but also I think my level of handicapping bullpens gives me the ability to do full games more often than not. So you know, mostly looking to play money lines. Uh, you know, I don't like to lay very heavy chalk. I don't like to take big underdogs either. A lot of my plays typically wind up being in the plus 130 to minus 140 range where I feel like I've got an edge, something I feel like I've found in the handicap that gives me you know, a good opportunity at winning that bet, whether I am laying a favorite or taking an underdog. Uh, totals betting, you know, that's something that, that I like to do as well. Not as much as sides, but, you know, that's just an over-under in the game combined total runs. Uh, this year, it'll certainly be interesting because we don't know how the baseball is going to play, and the pitchers haven't been able to throw it in spring training, so that's kind of an interesting wrinkle. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you get a lot of team total stuff now. A lot of people play strikeout props. There's just a lot of different betting markets out there for people to try to take advantage of. And, you know, because I largely handicap for content and I do a picks article every day, I try to make it things that are accessible to everybody, like full-game money line betting, like full game total betting, first five, stuff like that. But there are a lot of props you can take out there with you know strikeout props or team total over, under, stuff like that. So it's definitely a growing market. There's a, a higher demand now, I think, for different betting types for baseball. And of course, now that it's more accessible for in a legal sense for a lot of people out there in the U.S., I think we'll only continue to see those options grow. Yeah, the options, like it's getting more and more accessible. And I'm, I'm curious to see, like, obviously there's no reason to do it if they can do it the right way as we've seen other states do it the money it brings into states like it's, it's it's all about filling the politicians pockets that's a whole nother podcast for another day but that's pretty much just holding these things up um but you mentioned some things there that i like a lot first five for one when i used to bet a lot that was when i started to play with more often because you can look at the starting pitcher and figure things out and the volatility of bullpens now are insane but like you said you 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 can look at it and and see and there's such good resources now you can literally see Hey, the three main arms have been used three games in a row. So they're probably going to get used tonight. So this, they're going to throw the C options out there tonight. If it gets to the bullpen, we've got some leverage here. So right. that's, that's a good option you have as well. Uh, you hit on a couple more things I want to ask you about. So like team totals is a thing that when we're playing DFS fantasy, and even if it's daily moves leagues fantasy or whatever, it's a thing that we look at a lot because it's like, you know, stacking up lineups or doing this or doing that. Team totals have become a big thing. But you also mentioned game props, and that's a big one people mention, like strikeout totals. Hey, I'm trying to decide between these three pitchers. Well, he's got an over nine and a half. He's got an over eight. But look where the, the money's juiced at and everything. The line is juiced at, and it becomes really interesting. So you mentioned when you're doing your writing, you try to cater to the overall audience, and that, that's a good policy because I've seen places where, you know, you read an article and you only have access to one of, like, the ten things on there, and you're just like, well, what the heck did I just read for? It doesn't make sense. Are you seeing potentially that like, these game props – taking over just betting on games uh, as we kind of keep moving through the future? I think so. Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, a, a lot of deeper pocketed players, a lot of the really sharp guys, 
you know, have a hesitance towards playing because they can't get as much down. But a lot yeah. of recreational players that make up, you know, the absolute bulk of, of betters, both in the legal U.S. and also globally in the offshore marketplace, you know, those are people that don't necessarily have to worry about the lower limits for that. They're probably not limit betters anyway. And you know, it's sort of an instant gratification thing of, you know, knowing before the game is even over whether or not you cashed your prop. I'm sure there are people out there that play, you know, the will Joey Gallo hit a home run mm-hmm. prop. I don't really recommend those. You know, there's really not a whole lot of betting value. It's not really a a plus EV kind of bet type. But the strikeout prop thing makes a lot of sense because you've got some teams that just strike out a lot, some pitchers that, you know, are high strikeout guys. And, you know, to your point, uh, there's been a lot of DFS carryover into the Major League Baseball betting markets now where a lot of the lines are shaped by the quant crowd, the modeling crowd, the spreadsheet crowd, guys that are optimizing their lineups for DFS. They've come over and started doing a lot more on the betting side with baseball as well. And, you know, those are definitely people that are looking to attack those K prop markets or, you know, some of the other stuff that's out there that wasn't out there, you know, six, yeah. eight years ago. Yeah, no, it's, it is. It's huge because uh, when I started doing DFS regularly for content wise, it's like five years ago or so. You had team totals, you had game totals, and you didn't have a whole lot else then. Like there was a little bit here and there, as you know, but it's grown so much more. And, um, like I see other content providers, literally they're writing up articles on prop bets. I've seen a, a good friend of mine that covers hockey. He's writing up any goal scorer bet, like all these different bets that are just, I guess it makes it entertaining for you. I see it's a little risky. Like it's like the home run idea. You're, you're playing with fire there, but at least in hockey, I guess they're going to take five or six shots each. You got a chance, but in baseball, I like the bets. It's like, okay, over under three and a half runs plus hits or something, or like those kind of combos where you can kind of see, okay, he's in Coors Field, he's facing so-and-so, let's see what happens. And again, if those props are justified, juiced the right way, another way to look at a DFS angle or something else, it depends on how much time you have in the day, obviously. But um, th- these are things you can utilize. Um, when you're looking at these game props, and I'm, I'm just stuck on this because it's it's a growing market, as you said, and I've seen there's companies like Prize Picks, there's Monkey Knife Fight, um, there's obviously the casinos have them when you're every like Will Hill and all these guys when you go to them, but like Prize Picks and like Monkey Knife Fight, I can really download the app right now and play, and you pick like seven props and you play a game. Um, do you see? I guess the answer I'm looking, or the question I'm looking for is, you said the prop pits market's going to grow, but do you see a way that like there's going to be more apps or more? Like we see DFS has all these apps now. Do you see more and more apps for just like props and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to be looking for creative ways to enter the gambling market, you know, and and I think that a lot of those, you know, prop contest sites and all of that are are really just an extension of that. And, you know, as long as the demand is there and and the demand is definitely there, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just fantasy anymore. It's betting. A combination of both brings a lot of people into the equation. And there's a lot of money to go around right now, too. There are a lot of financiers that are investing money into anything sport directly sports betting related or you know just on the cusp or on the fringes, whatever. I think those sites will continue to grow, especially because they kind of operate in those gray areas where they're not illegal, but they're not legal in the U.S. You don't have to have as much licensing or oversight or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something that will keep growing and you know, even if you don't bet into those markets, even if it's not something that you're looking to bet, you know, I'll use them for context. You know, I'll look yeah. at a, a pitcher strikeout prop and think to myself, okay, well, in, if I'm betting this game, right, and this pitcher's got a strikeout prop of, let's say, eight and a half, something like that, you know, to me, that implies that he's going to be dominant in that game. 
So I want to see if the market is reacting accordingly, whether that means, you know, his team is, is a bigger favorite or the total is being, you know, accurately covered, something like that. So I'll look for a lot of context clues in the marketplace using some of those player props or those team totals, stuff like that, to see kind of where things may stand as that game plays out. Yeah, I think it's a huge tool that the more and more it gets out there, the more and more content that kind of, I guess, consolidates it for us. So you don't have to go searching all over the place for it. It'll make it uh, a very, very cool tool. Uh, another thing we've seen a lot of in recent years, especially like in football and basketball, like when I'm with the guys at the sports book or something and we're drinking, having a good time, and then they have the live betting going on. And, like you're watching the game here and all of a sudden this one changes. And you, like Will Hill, you can do it on a freaking app while you're sitting there. It's ridiculous, but uh, which is, can be dangerous at times. But um, live betting in baseball seems a little different. Maybe it's juiced a lot. Do you see live betting becoming a popular thing in baseball? Because I think that's a little tougher. But I know guys do live betting on totals a lot. But other things I think can be tricky. Yeah, I mean, live betting, you can get down such a rabbit hole when it comes to live betting. Your risk of ruin can be pretty high if you're not disciplined, if you're not looking for the right opportunities. It's something where you have to have a good feel for the market. You have to have a good understanding of what's happening in the game. And you know, it's also difficult, too, because – you know, if you're not watching the game, you may not know which pitcher is coming in. You know, you may not get that update, you know, on your app or just by watching the box score or something like that to know what the matchup the matchups are going to be the next inning. I will say there are some situations when I do look to jump into the live betting markets, and in particular, it's going to be fading a starting pitcher the third time through the order or something like that. If I know, like you talked earlier in the in the segment here about. You know, if I know that the top three relievers are unavailable, I also know that starter is probably going deeper into the game than he should because that manager is going to try to push that guy. And if he's got bad third time through the order splits for his career, then maybe that's a live betting opportunity for me. And I will mention those, you know, over the course of the article or doing my podcast or something like that, where, you know, situationally, it's not something I do all the time. But if it's something where I feel like I've got an edge, a good read on that game or that pitcher, you know, the third time through penalty is is just such a big deal for some guys. And if I know a guy's going to get pushed and maybe he's been a little bit shaky that second time through the order, then that's something I'll look to get in on. But again, it's something where I either have to have that plan going in or be watching that game and kind of see it all playing out. That's very smart. Um, another angle for the props that I think is interesting to so get your thoughts on this. Um, I haven't noticed it in football and basketball. It very well could be. I know in golf, a, a sport I, I like to cover a lot, um, they've started to do new things. It's like, okay, they're going to hole six, you know, and if they throw odds out over underscore three and a half or something, like are they getting a par or a birdie and stuff like that? You're betting on hole by hole almost, but it's live as they're playing. In baseball, we could almost do it similarly, like live betting not so much for the rest of the game, but, hey, they're going to the top of the six now, like runs, hits, errors for this team. Do you think there's live betting like chances for that scenario of a, of a game? I think there's a chance for a lot of scenarios, you know, as you've got this so accessible for so many people and, you know, the, these, the U S sports books that are out there and we've kind of seen this play out already. They just want recreational action. You know, I mean, they're obviously going to limit the guys that win, but, but they'll take any recreational action they can get. And, And that means really opening up any market that they possibly can. I mean, these trading staffs are so big nowadays for these sports book entities that, I don't think anything is off limits. I don't know if it's something that we'll see this year necessarily, but I don't think anything is off limits if they find that there's demand for it. And, you know, for people that are going to be sitting around in the summertime with with very little else going on, you know, obviously the the NBA and NHL seasons will kind of carry over through most of the baseball season this year. 
But when things get back to normal here next year in terms of the sports calendar and baseball is the only thing going on in the summer, yeah. I think you'll see a, a lot of different live betting options that you know previously weren't there. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it because I could see just like, you know, getting a group of guys and sitting on the bleachers and going, hey, let's like, you know, I've done it with guys before and other people do just with your friends. You make bets like that in the bleachers. Now, if you have the oh, ability yeah. to do it on the home, like a phone or something, and even if they limit you to like, say, 25 bucks or whatever, just to kind of keep it civil, I could see you guys doing that and having a great time with it. Uh, oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think about it like, you know, uh, throwing a dollar in the beer cup per inning. If the yeah. umpire throws the ball out to the mound and it stays up, it stays there. on the mound. Yeah, I've definitely done that one before. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know what? If you, anything. If you find yeah. the right crowd, they'll gamble on anything. Yeah, in in the end, not all of us, but most of us have a lot of degenerate in us. So if you throw it out there, we will find a way to have some fun. Uh, that, that's that's that, that story. But um, speaking of these things, you mentioned the going down rabbit holes, trying not to lose everything, all that kind of stuff. What are ways when you're looking at the baseball market to potentially beat the market? How do you attack like the the you know we talk about vig, we talk about the um, the odds, like the the juice on stuff. How do you go about it in baseball compared to maybe other sports? Well, one thing in baseball, and and this is still you know tried and true, and it's been something that I've seen over the last several years, and and I don't see it changing anytime soon. When those overnight lines come out, when the games for the next day get posted you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time, whenever that is at your sports book. If you've got a pitcher with a high ERA and a lower FIP and a lower XFIP, money's coming in on that guy. And on the flip side, if he's got a low ERA, high FIP, high XFIP, money's coming in against that guy. It's been a very simple way to figure out which way lines are going to move. So you can get some line value out of that. You know, if you just jump into that market right away, go ahead and take that guy, knowing that that line is going to come down or go up. And then, of course, you can decide the next day once the market kind of matures and settles in if you want to keep that bet, if you want to try to, you know, just arbitrage and take the other side. You know, there are a lot of there's a lot of market manipulation in baseball because it's such a metrics driven sport. And like I said, the quant crowd really dictates it with getting out in front of the overnight lines. Uh, you'll see a lot of line movements in the morning around eight Eastern time, nine Eastern time, something like that. And then you see, you know, some people buying back late on a game right before it starts. But that is one of them that is, I would say, probably 80 to 85% of the time, if there's a pitcher with a big discrepancy between his ERA and FIP, that line will move. And if it's a high ERA, it'll move on him. If it's a low ERA, it'll move against him. And you know that, that's one way that you can just read the market very, very easily without diving too much into it and, and maybe getting some line value out of the equation. And of course, you still have to go through the handicapping process after you kind of take that initial position and all of that. But that is one way to, you know, more often than not get a much better number than the closing number is to pay attention to those situations where you've got a starting pitcher with a big discrepancy between the old school metrics and the new school numbers. Yeah, that, that's definitely interesting because like you, you basically just brought a bunch of fantasy into it for everybody that listens. FIPS, XFIPS, like that's all the stuff we look at for all kinds of stuff. So it makes sense. These people are smart. Like you said, the quant guys are the ones making all these projections half the time. So it makes a lot of sense that they're the ones kind of moving the needle. And I remember seeing that when I was doing a lot of betting that in the morning you'd see all this line movement just kind of jump certain ways. You're sitting there scratching your head a little bit, and then you look at it a little deeper, and you're like, okay, well, now I've lost the best number as well in the process. But uh, then it gives you a buyback chance at certain times, like you mentioned. Um, do you Are you one of the believers – two questions. First one, are you one of the believers to just uh, – in baseball especially, just if you see reverse line movement, just go, like go against it type thing? Or what do you see there? No, not for me, because it's it's one of those things to me where 
I feel like, and, and this is going to sound kind of conceited and it's not intended to be that way. I feel like I deep dive a, a lot more than most people do. You know, a lot of the crowd is shaped by people that do the modeling, as I said, and if their number is off from the market number, they're playing it no matter what. And, and for me, I like to get a little bit more context. You know, if you've got a guy with a low ERA and a high FIP, why is his ERA low? You know, maybe he's just not a strikeout guy, but he stays off the barrel really well. You know, and as we know, strikeouts one of the main components of FIP. So, yeah, he's not going to have a good FIP because he's not striking guys out. But you, know, you think about Kyle Hendricks, for example, right? Every year his ERA is better than his FIP. Oh, yeah. and, and he's not going to post an ERA close to his FIP because his command is so good. So those are things where you know, the market may say one thing, but I'll go in and do some research and see the other thing. And I don't really pay a ton of attention to what you know the market is kind of doing in terms of reverse line movement or anything like that. I just have an idea of, of which way the lines are going to move. And, you know, if I agree, I'll try to get out in front of it. If I disagree or I'm not sure, I'll wait. I'll go ahead and let the market mature. You know, I, I would rather be right and lose 10 cents on a side than, you know, get 10 cents of the best number and, and be wrong because there's something I didn't see or something I didn't account for or something like that. So for me, I, I'm more than willing to be patient, take my time studying through the handicap and, and worry a little bit less about what the market's doing. Yeah, trust your process. You've done it long enough, so that makes a lot of sense. I just I remember seeing so many people going, "Oh, look at reverse line movement. We got to play this." And that guy used to just always be a common thread that you can kind of scratch your head at at times. Uh, the other question I had for you on this part is, we see in baseball because baseball is such a variant sport. Like you see dogs winning all the time because it's baseball. Um, are you one of those betters that just says, you know what? I'm going to take these big dogs because it's just like I got a plus 200 dog. It's just crazy. He's plus 200. Or are you like, no, there's a reason he's plus 200. Let's just stay away from here. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about big underdogs, there's a couple of things for me. The, the first one is they have to have a good bullpen. I mean, it, that's paramount to me. You know, if, if you're a bad team, you better have a good bullpen because you're not going to get a whole lot of leads to protect and you better protect them. And, and we'll talk about that with one of the teams I like from a season win total standpoint here in a little bit. But that's a big thing to me. You know, it, it's not even necessarily just the starting pitching difference. It's if something happens and you have a lead, are you going to be able to hold it? And a lot of times those teams in those really big underdog roles don't have good bullpens, you know, because also not only are they losing, but they wind up losing in spectacular fashion. Yeah. Whether they're getting blown out or they blow a save, then mm -hmm. the market kind of develops, you know, a hesitance toward betting that team or maybe a vendetta, so to speak, against that team. That's why they wind up being such a, a big underdog. And then secondarily, look, I mean, if you're that big of an underdog, you're probably facing a pitcher you're not going to do much against. You know, I, and then all of a sudden I'm asking some team's fourth starter to keep them in a game against Jacob deGrom or against, you know, Garrett Cole or, or somebody yeah. like that. And more often than not, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to tangle with that. I don't want to get in front of an elite level starting pitcher and, and take a big underdog just hoping that their pitcher keeps them in the game. Yeah, no, I love it because those are just two narratives that I've, I've seen pop up so many times of of ways to attack games. And to me, it's just kind of a almost a lazy approach to betting. You're not even doing the work to to kind of go about it. So very, very intriguing on that. Uh, before we get into our props, any final like advice for the listeners about betting on baseball? I think it's really important to watch the market. You know, even if it's a game that you're not playing, just watch the market because what will happen is, you know, I talked about ERA and, and FIP and XFIP discrepancies and how you get market moves out of that. You will pick up on trends and tendencies from the betting market where they will just, it doesn't matter who he's facing, 
they will fade a pitcher over and over and over again. And you know it's coming. You know, there are some guys that the market just does not like. I don't think I've ever seen steam on Julio Tehran. I, I don't think anybody has <laughs> ever consistently bet on that guy. Every time he pitches, money came in against him. Every single time. Anibal Sanchez was in that role a couple of years ago when he had a low ERA and his peripherals were terrible. Money came in against him pretty much every start. Now, he was burning some people because he was doing really well in terms of contact management. I think he had the lowest average exit velocity against or close to it that year. But the market will have favorites and will have guys that they absolutely will not touch. And you will see that run for five, six, seven starts in a row where you're going to look at that guy and you're going to go, oh, so-and-so's pitching. The money's coming in against him. And there's just, you know, it just happens. It's just all all the time across the board. Like I said, Julio Tehran's a guy that, you know, I've seen it happen to a lot. But there are others where, you know, he'll take money. We get start after start after start, even if he doesn't get any better, it still comes in. And, you know, if you watch the market enough, you'll kind of pick up on those guys and know exactly where those lines are going to move or if they're going to move at all. And then does that make you want to go, you know what? Annabelle Sanchez has proved us wrong so much. I'm going to let the line move within like three o'clock. I'm, just, I'm jumping in. I'm taking Annabelle. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. something that I've done, especially in, in this is way down a rabbit hole. I did talk about it with with Brian on the Roto Wager podcast, but you know, one of the things that I've really incorporated a lot over the last few years is that stat cast data. It is yeah. to look and see, you know, why is this guy having success, even though it looks like he shouldn't be? Or why is it this guy having success, even though it looks like he should be? You know, I know a lot of people last year in the short season were talking about, you know, Shane Bieber's exit velocity against and how high that was, his hard hit rate. And, you know, some people were kind of souring on him a little bit, thinking that it was going to regress. But he's out there striking out 40% of the batters he's facing. So, you know, I'm not so much worried about him allowing some hard contact with nobody on base. So I started digging into that a lot more. The exit velocity metrics, hard hit rate, barrel rates, stuff like that, to try and see if it could explain why the results are there when the numbers suggest that they shouldn't be. So I I will definitely go against the grain with some of those guys that everybody expects regression from if I pick up on something that, you know, would keep them from from running into a lot of bad luck or a lot of bad variants. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you, because you kept mentioning certain stats, I was going to ask where do you go? And Savant makes sense, Fangraphs, I'm assuming, and stuff like that. So um, that that's very, very interesting. Like, it's almost, you mentioned attacking the same pitcher over and over again. This is literally like DFS 101. It's like, hey, this guy is not this good. We're going to keep stacking against him with these value bets. Like you're just betting against him or not, or, you're, or, or the market is or whatever. Um, it's funny. Like literally, I, we were talking before the show. I said DFS is kind of my, my way to gamble on sports. Now it's a daily way to build lineups. It's almost like the way you're like, part of your process is part of my process, but we're doing it for two different things. So it's, it's a pretty interesting way to look at it. And in the end, we get to watch a baseball game at night and hope for a similar result probably. Right. So, um, and, and that's one of those things too, where, you know, nothing against the modeling crowd. I don't make my own numbers like they do. Neither, um, neither do I. To a degree, I wish I could, because then it would just be black and white. <laughs> so you I. Know, I, I wouldn't have to spend all the, the time and the hours handicapping the games. But, you know, that's, I think to some degree it kind of helps me because Mm -hmm. I am able to take that, you know, deeper dive because, you know, I don't know how many models that people bet with incorporate the exit velocity metrics or or anything like that, because, you know, you're also, you have some teams that make a ton of violent contact and some teams that make very little. Mm -hmm. And so if I've got a guy with shaky command and he's facing a lineup that makes a ton of hard contact, that's problematic. If he's facing, you know, an Orioles or a Cardinals or a team that doesn't make a lot of hard contact, 
Maybe it's something I don't worry about as much. So I will wait for the market to fade that guy, then kind of come back in at a cheaper price. Just because I think that that's where my edge lies in going deeper, a few layers deeper with the research. No, I love that. That's it's it's a joke I make on this podcast and on my DFS shows is I have like my caveman projections because I have to do it by hand and I have to research everything because I'm not smart enough to put Excel files together that create algorithms for me to produce. Like I, I'm just not that guy. I don't have it in me. There's days like you said, I wish I could just click two buttons and here comes everything for me. But uh, there is something to just, you know, I'm digging in on things. I'm learning things. And, oh, all of a sudden there's this guy that's influencing this thing. You wouldn't see in a computer uh, punching up numbers. So it is very intriguing as well. And, and uh, that has that has a lot to do with our environment where you and yeah. I are content creators. You know, right. like what what kind of content is it for me to go? Well, my number says this line should be minus one nineteen, and the yeah. team's plus one hundred five. Play this. It, like it, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't tell anybody anything. And that's why I tell people I'm a content creator first, and mm-hmm. a better and handicapper second. I, I want to give people rationale. I want to give them reasons why I think a play is good and also kind of help them sort of find some of those tools and tricks for themselves so that they can handicap and, and sort of see the things that I'm seeing or at least, you know, be able to predict some of these line moves in the marketplace and all of that. And that's kind of the difference is, you know, you and I are approaching it from a content side, even though we're both betting it or, you know, in your yeah. case, doing the DFS thing. But, you know, we also have to generate arguments. You know, it's it's not just going on Twitter and listing, you know, pick after pick after pick with the line. It's, you know, walking through our process and explaining what we're seeing. And then, you know, obviously hoping that, you know, it works out for the best. Yeah, and baseball is one of those hopes that can be wrong a lot because baseball is fun like that. But, um, and I'm with you. Like, so there's certain days I understand if someone sub- subscribes somewhere that you have five minutes to get your stuff figured out. That's so convenient to have it. But like you just said, when I'm producing the content, my goal and I tell people on my shows and everything is, I want you to learn how to do this for yourself. Like, so you don't need to come back to me all the time. As much as I want you coming back here, you, you need to learn how to like, at least understand while I'm giving you this, like learn the process. So um, yeah, I'm with you there hundred percent. The the last thing I have before we get into the totals here, um, you mentioned the market, watching the market. Where would you tell people to go watch the market? Like where can they go? Like you might have your connections. I know when you do content and everything, you have other places you go to. Where can the common sports better go to watch the market? Yeah, you know, odd screens are, are just very important. You know, I, I think Wager Talk's got a pretty good one. Uh, SBR has a good one. We have one with the legal U.S. sports books over at ATS.io. But I would say that, you know, in terms of watching the market, you know, the, the U.S. market is very skewed right now. You know, you don't see dime lines in the U.S. market. You don't see really even 15-cent lines at a lot of places in the U.S. markets. So you know, the global markets are, are definitely what I like to look at. Some of the sharper ones that are out there, like a Pinnacle, like a Chris, you know, a bookmaker, something like that, where those are going to give you a pretty good indication of, of what the sharp side is in a game, whereas the Bovadas and the MyBookies of the world and all of that will kind of give you a better idea of, of what the public side is for that game. And you know, like I said, I mean, you know, you've got some of these places in the U.S. markets where it's a 20-cent line, a 20-cent you know, line with, you know, a reasonable number, you know, you'll see these it's a discussion for another day, but you'll see 30 cent lines, 40 cent lines. And by that, I mean, you know, you'll have a plus 110 underdog and a minus 150 favorite, you know, or, or something like that. And, and it happens all the time in the U.S. market because a lot of people don't really know any better. So I think in terms of, of gauging the market for you know whether you're looking for sharp versus public sides or like I talked about those pitchers that the market is backing or fading. I think looking more towards the offshore sportsbook side of things 
will give you a better indication of you know where the markets are on certain games than, than what the U.S. books will show. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, let's talk some future betting. Let's talk some team totals. This is one that I enjoy doing. I'll, like when I used to be going to Nevada a lot, I'd throw some some scratch down on this for some fun. But it's a uh, has it's been a little while since I made that trip. But uh, let's talk some team totals here. Um, the the numbers will vary for the odds, and we're just gonna talk about the overall win totals that uh, we have available. Adam and I have five each. Obviously, there's thirty of them you can choose from. But um, I'll give you what's your first one, Adam. Well, I'll preface this first by saying that, you know, my process for looking at season win totals, and as I said, I, I've previewed every team in the 2021 MLB betting guide. Uh, I do have a link to the PDF on my Twitter page, at Skating Tripods, to have it all in one place, but it's also at ATS.io, an in, in individual article web page form. But my process is, you know, I try to determine the ceiling and the floor for a team, and then I look at the win total number and say, okay... Is it closer to the ceiling or is it closer to the floor? You know, if everything goes right for this team, where do they end up? If everything goes wrong, where do they end up? And where is that win total relative to that? So I look at things like depth. I look at things like a team's contract situation to see what they may do at the trade deadline. Will they be a seller? Are there pieces that they're going to sell off? Could they be a buyer? Do they have a strong enough minor league system to do that? So I look at a lot of different factors that, you'll really come into the equation when it comes to season win totals. And with that in mind, you know, one of my favorite ones here for this season is actually Oakland under the Oakland A's under 87 and a half. And this is a team that I've loved several years in a row. I think this is my sixth year writing the betting guide and year in and year out. I love the A's. I find hidden value. You know, they do so many smart things there with Billy Bean, but this year, I started writing it, and I found myself not liking a lot of things about the A's. And that said a lot to me because I've been so supportive of them for several years in a row, and now I'm just not a fan. And you know, I don't think their bullpen is as strong as it's been in past years. They have so many injury risks in that starting rotation. And offensively, you know, Chapman's great, and, and Olsen's having the big spring and, and all of that, but you know, they lose Marcus Semien. They lose some guys that – you know, are, are maybe platoon based guys that, you know, that's a, a, a lineup construction that they've had for a long period of time. I just don't think this team has the ceiling that it's had here in recent seasons. And to me, I think 87 and a half is about the top of, of where I could expect them to be this year. So I figured, you know what, if a lot of things go wrong for this team, and it's certainly a possibility, I think they could be more like an 81, 82 win team. So that's what, why I gravitated towards the under. And, and like I said, part of it is intuition too, knowing that I've liked them so many years in a row, and this year I don't. Uh, I like the under for that one as well. Like the A's, would, would they surprise me if they won 90 games? I guess a little, but I, I know that the A's are always a scrappy team. If their guys stay healthy, they can be competitive. The pitching is always a question with them. Somehow they usually get it done, but it's, it's weird. And the biggest thing for me is just thinking back on previous win totals, for the A's, they're usually on the lower side of the 80s. So then it's intriguing to take the over. Now we're approaching the 90s, and it's like, okay, let's take a step back now. They still have the Astros. Angels will be better. Mariners are the Mariners. But it's it's still not going to be a walkover by any means for Oakland. So I'm with you on that. That was a, a very surprising number for me as well. Um, my first one is the Boston Red Sox under 80 and a half. And it sucks that the, the Red Sox are going through this, I guess. But when you look at the, we look at that team, the offense will be better than I thought they'd be the, as they kept uh, coming together and kind of getting healthy. It'll still be pretty good, at least one through five or so. But that pitching staff is absolutely atrocious. 
It is one of the worst pitching staffs outside of maybe Baltimore and a few other teams in all of baseball. Uh, Erod, I love. He's already got dead arm. Supposedly he'll be okay. You got Eovaldi, who's great, but does he throw 120 innings maybe? Like, that's the problem with Eovaldi. So you're you're praying for a lot of guys to have some career years pitching, and the bullpen's not great either. Like, Hernandez is interesting, but he's got control issues. You got Adovino and Barnes back there trying to vie for the, the ninth inning role. But as a whole, I am just not sold on Boston at all. Plus, you have the Yankees to deal with. Tampa Bay's legit. Toronto's going to be better. It's going to be a tough division period for Boston. So I, I think they're under 80 and a half, which means they're under 500 team. And it's going to be a rough year for Boston, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, that offense still has very high potential. And, of course, you know, Fenway Park, we know, is about the closest thing to Coors Field that we have out there in terms of park factor and in terms of, you know, offensive production. But that also means the same thing for the road teams that show up and get to face that horrific pitching staff that you mentioned. And that's that's a big thing here, too, is that, you know, you're going to have pitchers that really ramp up their innings workloads. And Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, missed all of last year. And he's a guy that's had the knee issue, had the back issue. Now he's got the dead arm issue. That guy's got to be healthy for that pitching staff to have any semblance of a ceiling. And, and it's just not there. They don't look like a very good defensive team either, which, you know, that won't help a bad pitching staff. I, I agree with you. That's one where, you know, another byproduct of, of being in that division is someone's going to lose. And, and we know Baltimore will will take it on the chin in most cases, but Boston is clearly the fourth best team in this division. And those 57 head-to-head games with the teams ahead of them could be very challenging for them. So I think that's a definitely a good-looking one there and one I have given a lot of thought to myself. Yeah, no, that division is just murderer's row up top. Uh, who's your second one? Because we actually agree on this one. Yeah, I, I, the Philadelphia Phillies are, are one that, you know, again, very difficult division. I know that's one that, that kind of stands out a little bit. But, you know, when I look at the Phillies here – their biggest issue last season was the bullpen. I mean, it was awful. They were dead last in, in several different categories. They blew a bunch of leads. They were horrendous. Well, they get Archie Bradley. They get Jose Alvarado. They get Brandon Kinsler, who winds up making the team. And, and there was a nice article about that at MLB.com about him, you know, kind of fighting through the spring to, to earn his job and all of that. But the bullpen looks a lot better. I think Aaron Nola is a Cy Young candidate, which is a spoiler alert for later in the show. And, and the lineup is, is a top 10 caliber group. You know, I mean, they walk, they hit for power. They have some guys that even hit for average. They do a lot of things really well on that offensive side. And I like Joe Girardi, too. You know, I, I think he's a guy that manages a bullpen very, very well. Maybe he learned from his experiences there in New York about communicating with players and, and everything like that. But I think this is a team on the rise. I think, you know, this is a, a team that could very well go over 500, could be possibly in the discussion for that second wild card spot. And also, too, you know, their win total speaks to me that they're an overlooked team because the Mets have such a big offseason, because the Braves have won three straight NL East titles, because the Nationals just won the World Series a year and a half ago and you know still have the big three in Juan Soto and all of that. I think top to bottom, the Phillies are a very good team, and I think that 80 and a half is just too low for them. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a tough one because I think their offense is as legit as they come, and they don't get the love there. Um, their pitching staff is very good. Just I agree with your thoughts on Nolan. We'll get to more of that apparently. But um, you got Wheeler, and you mentioned the bullpen adjustment has been huge for them. Like Alvarado's awesome. Neris is he's a roller coaster when he's on. He's really good. You still have Bradley. Like they they they've worked on getting the bullpen better. So you're 100 there. Um, it's just I, I see the tricky part from other people looking at it because the Marlins are a good ball club. Like I'm not going to put that against them. Um, you have the Braves. You have the Nationals. 
You have um, the Mets. They're all good teams, but I could see the Phillies doing it, and you get that 80 to 80 and a half odds there, or 80 and a half over under. I think it's very, very appealing. So I'm with you on that one. Um, so that'll be my second one as well. So what is your third one? Yeah, real quick. I also took a piece of the Phillies at plus 925 to win the East. I, I don't think nice. it happens, but I think it's it, it's an equitable enough gamble for me to, to go ahead and take a shot there with that one because I do think that they have a very high ceiling that's not really being appreciated uh, out there in the betting markets. Let me check my third one here. Uh, actually, this one from the from the American League Central I like the Kansas City Royals. I, yeah. I might be an idiot, and I might wear it on this one, but I really like what the Royals are putting together there. I like that with John Sherman, they went out and spent money right away in free agency. They're a team that, you know, they graduated out some guys that really had no business playing every day. You know, Alex Gordon was awful last year, so they replaced him with Andrew Benintendi. That's a really big upgrade offensively. Maybe not defensively necessarily, but a big upgrade on the offensive side. Jorge Soler was is really bad last year because of a high strikeout percentage increase facing a bunch of pitchers in the AL Central that knew him. So I think as he goes around the league, plays everybody in the AL as opposed to just division guys, he'll get back to being very productive. Uh, Whit Merrifield, he should be better this year. Adalberto Mondesi should be better this year. Carlos Santana is a really nice fit as a great defensive first baseman. They're going to be a very good defensive team again. And yeah, the average is bad, but he walks a lot. He hits for a little bit of power. Uh, you know, good clubhouse guy for whatever that's worth. But the biggest thing I like about the Royals, I love their bullpen. And like I said, if I'm going to bet on a bad team and their win total implies they're bad at 73 and a half, I need them to win games they're supposed to win. And I think they were 19 and 0 with a lead after six last year in the 60 game sample. So that's a team that will finish off games for me. And I think that rotation's a little bit better than people give it credit for. And, you know, quite simply, it's a low win total where I think, yeah. you know, their their floor is probably about 70, 71 wins. So I think their upside is quite a bit higher than where their win total is. And I wouldn't be shocked if they flirt with 500 in that division. Uh, I'm 100% with you. When I saw you write uh, it on the list, I'm like, ah, I should have put them down because I've been preaching the the Royals offense for one that it's sneaky fantasy good. Like at least one through seven is very, very productive in, in that lineup. So I like what they've done on that aspect of things. The, the bullpen, you know, bringing Holland back, people make fun of it, but he's been darn good, and you, you still have Stalmont and some others back there. It's, it's a sneaky good bullpen, as you mentioned. And that rotation, they brought Mike Miner in. You know, Duffy's Duffy. They have, they're have not the flashiest starting rotation, but it's a good rotation. They're going to eat innings up. They're going to get beat up once in a while, but not going to crush you all the time out there. So it's a much improved Royals team. Like you mentioned, I think they can definitely get to a 500 spot because they're going to play the Tigers. The White Sox will be good, but there's still some holes there. There's still some holes with Minnesota. Um, it's not just a complete walkover division like it once was. Even Cleveland, you know, we talked about them earlier. It's, if the pitching's off, they're going to be in trouble as well. So I think Kansas City is very interesting. How crazy is plus 4,000 to win the division? I know it's tricky with Minnesota and Chicago, but all it takes is Kansas City to maybe get hot and win like 88 games, and it could be interesting. Yeah, that's that's a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a reach for me. You know, I, I don't yeah. think that their top end, you know, on the starting pitching side is is good enough for something like that. But I yeah. will say that you know, kind of along the same lines of what we're talking about, there's this really negative connotation to a player being league average or yeah. you know, a position group being league average. And frankly, there are a lot of guys in Major League Baseball who are not league average relative to their peers. So the idea that Kansas City could have a league average pitching staff 
with that really good bullpen and a starting staff that's probably a little bit below average. At that To me, that's pretty damn good for a lineup that could be kind of in the realm of average, too. That's not a 73-74 win team to me. So I and you know, speed and defense, two things that aren't really accounted for in the betting markets too much. They'll manufacture runs, they'll take away run scoring opportunities. They have a higher ceiling, I think, than people realize for sure. And they're also if they start out competitive, they have some good young arms, like Lynch and company they can bring up. So it could get interesting in Kansas City. Don't like hold your breath, but it could be interesting. Um, my third team is in the same division. Like I mentioned, you know, you got the Tigers. Who are the Tigers? The Indians, I still don't see them being like world beaters in their division. The Twins, I, I, I'm, I know the offense is usually pretty good. That pitching just never works for me. But they've gotten better this year. I, it's hard not to love what the White Sox did. So I'm taking White Sox over 90 and a half. It's one of the higher totals I'll ever touch. I usually avoid all 90s. But I am I, I love the offense. The offense is nothing not to love. I love the offense last year. I think it's absolutely amazing. They've made some even more potential improvements with the healthy Moncada. Uh, losing Eloy is not great. I'm not going to deny that. But you had Andrew Vaughn in there. Still a very, very good offense. But you have G. Lito, who <laughs> my pick to win the AL Cy Young. Um, you have the addition of Lance Lynn, I think is tremendous. You mentioned league average. People don't give Dallas Keuchel the love he should get for just going out there and eating innings up and you know resting your bullpen for you. And there's the big thing is those three pitchers between G. Lito, Lynn, and Keuchel, they're not going to drain the bullpen like the old White Sox staffs used to do. So the bullpen, that's still pretty good because I got Liam Hendricks in there to go with Bummer and Crochet. The White Sox have everything they need right now if they can stay healthy and not avoid another injury like Eloy. So I'm taking the over 90 and a half there because I think they'll beat up on their division pretty well and make a run to the postseason. I might be just drinking the juice, but I love everything the White Sox have done. So regarding the White Sox, I will say this. They have the highest ceiling of any team in the Central Division. So I can yeah. understand, you know, taking the plunge with such a high wind toll. I can definitely get that. I think their pitching staff is going to be improved with not only Lance Lynn, but also with Ethan Katz, who I think is going to be a really good pitching coach for that team, increase the velocity for some guys, kind of have more of that advanced analytics approach. few things I worry about with the White Sox. The first is I talk about Katz and how he's kind of a very progressive guy, a new school type of guy, all of that. Tony LaRusa is not. So (laughs) I'm really wondering how those dynamics kind of play out between not only him and Katz, but also between him and a young, brash, borderline arrogant, you know, kind of position player group that knows it's really good, is kind of trying to establish itself and and have that swagger. You know, do you get some of the crotchety old white man thing from LaRusa that I've seen from, you know, Francona and and like we used to see it from Paul Molitor with the Twins, you know, where they kind of, strip away the personalities of some of those guys, kind of tell them, play the game the right way, you know, all that kind of thing. I don't know how that dynamic kind of plays out there uh, with Chicago. So I do worry about that a little bit. And then lastly, with Jimenez already down, the one thing that holds me back with the White Sox is that depth is a concern for them. You know, they don't have a lot of guys that are major league ready in the minor league system. Their bench is pretty weak overall. If there are cluster injuries for this team, whether they're on offense or on the pitching side, I don't know how well they overcome those. And and with a season win total that leaves minimal margin for error, that's why I would hold off. But I think you're on the right track in the sense that this is a team with a high ceiling. I mean, we know their pennant odds show that, their World Series odds show that. Something has to go wrong for them to probably not get, you know, upper 80s, low 90s, at least in the win department. So, yeah, it's it's one where the only thing I could play is probably the over, but I do have enough concerns that I I really can't fire on it. 
Yeah, and like I said, when I started, I rarely take anything in the 90s to begin with. I just – I'm in love with this team, and it might be blind love, but I, I, I just enjoy watching them play. So I think I'm rooting for them to just go crazy because they're a fun, fun group uh, to Very watch on the, on the diamond. Um, all right, who is your fourth win total? Yeah, so this one here, uh, you know, much like you said, you don't like playing win totals in the 90s, and I can't blame you for that. Generally speaking, I don't like playing really low win totals because if you get a team that winds up being 20 and 20 over 40 games, something like that, a quarter of the season is already gone. So, you know, I have to hope that they're really bad for the rest of it. However, with that being said, I think Texas is horrible. I think Texas is the worst team in the American League. If you gave me a head-to-head prop of Baltimore versus Texas, I would definitely bet Baltimore in that one in terms of season wins. I think the Rangers will be awful. I mean, the pitching staff just looks beyond bad. You know, you, you got Lyles and Gibson, and you know, we'll see what Arihara does coming over from Japan. I'm not really spe- expecting a whole lot from that. The bullpen's not good. Uh, the lineup, I, I don't know what direction they're going in with this lineup. You know, Joey Gallo, maybe he finally gets traded out of there. I don't know. But they're just there are so many below-average players on this team across every level. And dude, the park factor is not great for them either. They were awful on the road last year. I think they were 6-22 and 22 in their road games last season because their pitching staff just can't compete you know, in any kind of ballpark where you can hit the ball. So the Rangers, I don't like the Mariners, but I do like Houston. Not super high on Oakland, as we talked about already, but you know, Oakland's probably going to win more games than they lose. The Angels mm-hmm. should be in the same boat. The Rangers are going to have major problems in division. They're going to have major problems outside of the division where I think the AL has just improved overall this season. And I think the bottom feeders really struggle. And I think Texas is a team that, you know, I don't think they're going to be Pittsburgh bad, but I do think that they have the fewest wins in the American League. So under 67 and a half is the predominant number. I have seen at some of the aforementioned offshore markets that are going by season win percentage instead of season win total. You can find closer to 68 and a half, almost 69. So, you know, I just, I think Texas is going to be beyond terrible this year. Yeah, they they're going to be very bad. It's it's always a tough one, like you said, taking those sixties because the old there's the old adage, and it's not always true. But it's like, okay, every team's going to win fifty and lose fifty. What do they do with the other sixty two games? Um, you can see the, the the Rangers losing all but like fifteen of those two. It's yeah. it, they're going to be very bad. And, and the other thing with them is they might just keep selling people. So mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a bad team. So I don't I don't blame you on that one at all. Um, my fourth one, and this was tough for me, but. I'm buying into the St. Louis Cardinals finally getting back into that uh, division or playoff realm. And a lot of it's to do with their improved offense, you know, getting Arenado. I think um, Goldschmidt will be much better this year. You got Edmund leading off Carlson for a full season. They're not like super, super flashy guys, but they're going to be a much better offense than they've been in the last year or so. And then that pitching staff just always between the bullpen, which is deep with like three or four potential closing options. You got a starting rotation that that's still pretty good. Um, I'm buying into it, and you got the a Reds team that's given up basically. You got the Pirates, who are the Pirates, so it's the Brewers, Cubs, and Cardinals again. Like, and I, I could see any three of those teams winning it all. There's no doubt about that. But just along the way, I see the Cardinals over 86 and a half approaching like that 89 to 90 win total. So it's not like a, a, a super feel good pick, but I, I definitely see them uh, getting over the hump this year and probably making the postseason once again. The Cardinals are just so consistent. You know, I mean, you almost you almost have to give them the benefit of the doubt year in and year out. You know, I mean, I think I I think they have one losing season since 2000. I mean, it's just they've they've missed the playoffs like once or twice. It's crazy. 
Their consistency is remarkable. I mean, they draft well, they develop very well, and and that's kind of a separator for them is that they develop pretty well on the position player side. A lot of teams do okay developing pitching. A lot of teams don't do well developing position players, and the Cardinals have done well with that, or they've isolated the right guys to acquire from a trade standpoint. I, I will say that what holds me back on this one is I don't think they're that much better then, you know, the other two teams in that league that I think are contenders in the Reds and the Brewers, and, and we'll talk about the Brewers in a second. I think the Cubs kind of are in that second tier sort of by themselves where they would need a lot of things to go right. But for the Cardinals, you know, the only thing that I worry about really with this team is is the age of this team. You know, they, they do have a lot of guys on the wrong side of 30 that may be hitting the aging curve. Certainly on the pitching side, who knows how much longer Adam Wainwright can keep this up, even though he was you know very good last year. What is Jack Flaherty? You know, I mean, this kid's got so much potential. We saw it in the second half of 2019, obviously. But, you know, he's kind of been pedestrian in a lot of his other splits. So, you know, is this kid going to take the leap? Is he going to take that next step, be that front of the rotation guy? This could also be a case where, you know, as as you talked about, this division is not good. You know, all Mm -hmm. five of these offenses are below average. So if the Cardinals are the best of a bad bunch – you know, that should elevate their pitching staff too, where nobody else in this division is all that good offensively. So I think this number is kind of about right for me in this 86 and a half range. But again, I can see where you're going and, and you're making ceiling plays of, yeah. you know, thinking the where teams are, are most likely to go if they stay healthy, if everything goes according to plan. And, and I can't argue with that approach, especially in a bad division like this. Yeah, it's like the old adage when you bet over unders. Do you want to bet unders and hope nobody no, hope for no entertainment, or do you want to bet overs and and hope for the moon? Uh, some deserve unders, like the Rangers. So, um, who is your fifth team? Yeah, and I will say I'm surprised at the number of overs that I've played this year. I, I think mm-hmm. part of it is I think the top teams in the league are a little bit overpriced. Not to yeah. say that I want to bet against them. Like I think the Dodgers win total is yeah. a little bit too high. One hundred two is crazy. Like, could you yeah. you could see them winning one hundred and ten games? But goodness gracious, one hundred two! Like, right. that takes one bad week and you're done. Right. And, and the Yankees. I mean, you know, they always have some sort of injury concerns that pop up. I, I think their win total could be a little bit high, but you know, still not things I necessarily want to bet on. You know, I want to bet against the Dodgers. I want to bet against the Padres or the Yankees or you know some of these other top win. Even the White Sox. I don't really want to bet against that one either, just because I know what teams like that are capable of. But one team that I do like in this mid-80s range, coming from that same central division, the Brewers. And I'm seeing a lot of love in the betting markets for the Brewers here. Their win total is kind of on the rise. Their division futures price has gone down. Um, I found them in, in the mid-50s to win the World Series, which I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit here. But I just think that this is a team that, you know, look, they're very stars and scrubs. You know, they've got guys that are absolutely exceptional in Burns and Woodruff and Williams and Hayter and you know, Christian Yelich, of course. And they've got a lot of guys who, you know, are, are I don't want to say roster filler because that's kind of mean, but, you know, a lot of guys that are kind of in the middle, you know, that, that may be league average types of guys. But one thing that I saw, and this kind of improved my perception of Milwaukee here, in the spring here, they've hit a lot more fly balls. And last year, I think they were 28th in fly ball percentage, either 26th or 28th, something like that. It's very hard to string together hits. In, in this current baseball environment. You don't manufacture runs. You've got to hit the ball out of the ballpark or hit doubles and triples to score runs. So if they're truly going to elevate the baseball more, that really increases their ceiling offensively. And based on what I saw from some of the batted ball data here in spring training, they are going to try to do that. So this is one that I was on the fence about when I wrote the guide, kind of unsure about. 
but now at this point in time, seeing that they got through the spring healthy, seeing that maybe they're having a philosophical change on offense, it's increased my ceiling for this team. So Brewers over 83 and a half is one I do like. Yeah, I don't hate it at all. Like I, I took that Cardinals one. Don't hate the Brewers one. Uh, the pitching's outstanding, as you mentioned. The, the depth that they've developed in pitching to have the luxury of, hey, we're going to start Peralta, but then we're going to start Limblom here in a little bit and kind of move guys around. And then the, the back end of the bullpen now is loaded with Williams to add to Hayter. And even Suter's kind of sneaky good in the back of that bullpen. So there's um, some nice pieces there for sure. And the offense, man, I love Colton Wong's addition to the top of that order. His on-base skills, his ability to steal bags, I think are tremendous. If Keston here can, you know, he started out spring slow and everyone was clowning on him because he's striking out a ton again, but he finished the spring with a 286 average, I think five or six home runs. He looked much better as he got comfortable. Shocker, you know, knocking rust off and all. But And, um, and learning a new position too. Yeah, first yeah, people laugh at first base. I'm sorry. I might be biased because I played first base my whole life. There's a lot more than just running and catching the baseball. I'm just going to throw that to people. A lot it's more in, than people think. It's incredibly hard, right? Yeah, there's a lot more than people think. Yep. Hey, because you got to hold guys on. You got to move around. Like it's, it's still not super difficult, but it's harder than people think. Let me just put it that way. Because um, I think you just throw every lazy person over there and we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's a little different. But uh, I do like the Brewers. I'm with you there. They're a scrappy team. That's kind of like why I like the Cardinals. They just, they're good teams that are always in games, it feels like. So if you have a couple start flipping your way, you're going to win. A, you're going to win those games. It's going to be a big difference at the end of the end of the season. My last one, and this was tough for me especially since I like the Phillies over 80 and a half. I'm taking the Nationals over 84 and a half. And the reason I'm doing this, and I'm already scared now because I, I'm not trusting Strasburg's health, but even on, as we record on Monday, he pitched in spring training. His velocity is down four miles an hour. So be careful with that as you wish. But um, I believe Scherzer's still got another good year in him. I believe Corbin's a little better than he was before, but I like what they've done at the back end of that bullpen. As much as I'm not a Brad Hand believer, just adding him there with Rainey or, and stuff helps a lot. But more importantly, I love this offense. I am a very big fan of this offense. Um, if you lead off Robles, you have Turner and Soto and what the Schwarber and Bell additions, this offense can put up a ton of runs, which they're going to need to do against some very good pitching staffs. Um, so I, I like the ability of the Nats to uh, compete. The Mets are just one of those, like, I love what the Mets have done. I just can't believe it until I see it because it's the Mets. Like, I just find, I just believe they're going to find a way to screw it up because it's the Mets. But um, give me the Nationals in this one. It's out of the five here. It's the one I feel the least comfortable about out of the five. But I feel like if they can click, they're going to potentially win this division and get well over um, 84 and a half. There's one thing that kept me from playing the under here, actually. So I will disagree with you on this one. And the one thing that kept me from playing the under is Juan Soto, who uh, yes. could very well be the best player in baseball by by the time this year is is over with. And some people may say that you know he already is. I don't know. I'm I'm really concerned about what's going on with this pitching staff. You know, obviously yeah. Strasburg, you have to be worried about year in and year out. Corbin, I'm definitely worried about too. You know, obviously last year he just. A few of these guys showed signs of the World Series hangover, even though it was the abbreviated season. But Corbin is a guy, you know, very heavy slider usage, dependent on that spin rate for that pitch. Velocities, you know, kind of up and down. He concerns me a little bit. And Scherzer, you know, I mean, look, Scherzer's still a well above average pitcher, but I don't think he's the sub three guy that we've seen, you know, pretty much throughout his career. Commands kind of wavered a little bit, had the back issue in the World Series year. Just, a, just too many things about the Nationals pitching staff that worry me. We'll see what that bullpen looks like. They're kind of an older unit a little bit too. And and Hand, you know, he was kind of teetering in 2019, came back and pitched really well in 2020. We'll see what he is. 
the offense will be better. I, I do grant you that. You know, I, I think Schwarber and Bell are two really nice additions. If Trey Turner, what he did last year is legit, then this offense could very well be a, a top 10 caliber unit. I'm not so sure of that. To me, it's just, you know, again, that, that rotation, there's not a lot of depth there either. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm not a big believer of the Eric Fetties of the world <laughs> or, you know, any of those guys they've kind of slotted in there because of injury in the past. Depth is, is a big deal to me, you know, and it's one of those things where the Nationals just don't really have enough of it, but they probably have the best player in baseball or the second best player in baseball in Soto. So for me, he he hides so much. He's yep. so, so much that, you know, I couldn't fire on the under, even though I, I do have a little bit more of a pessimistic outlook for them than you do. It's tough. I I, I agree with everything you said. It's, 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 they're a tough one. I, I guess I'm just this. I guess the Soto edge is just tremendous for what he can do in that offense. So we'll wait and see there. I'll talk more about him a little later as well. Um, when we're talking AL and NL pennants, who do you like for AL winner? You know, pennants are something that I really don't do a whole lot of from a futures standpoint because I, I look at I look at pennant betting as a one-month thing. I look at World yeah. Series and season win totals as a full season thing. You know, because – the, the pennant is different than the World Series. For the World Series, I want – just get me there. Just get me to the playoffs, and then I can kind of hedge out, sort of decide what I want to do. Like I said, I got a piece of the Brewers in the in the 55-1 to 1 range because I think they win the division. And if they win the division, I can just bet against them each round and make something out of my future. You know, they'll probably be done in the first round anyway, but I can make something on that future. With the pennant, I need that team to, to win the pennant, basically. you know, There's not as much hedging margin uh, with something like that. I will say, though, you know, if, if I was going to take a chance on some things, you know, look, I mean, Tampa Bay, to me, yep. is a very dangerous team. And it's tough because they probably wind up in the one-game playoff. The Yankees probably do win that division. But Tampa Bay is a team that is hell to play in any series. They've got very good depth. Nick Anderson will probably be back by then. And if not, some other guys will kind of slot in. They'll find somebody in that bullpen throughout the course of the year. They're a very good offensive team that people don't really realize because Tropicana Field is so bad for hitting that you know, I think Tampa Bay is a very dangerous team. They'd probably have to go through the wild card to do so. But outside of, you know, really Yankees, White Sox, and you know, probably twins, you know, the West is pretty wide open. I don't think that second wild card team will be all that good. Maybe it's Toronto. If Ryu's not available, I don't know who starts the wild card game for them. So I think Tampa Bay is a team that you know, if I had to do anything from a pennant standpoint, because I think they're live when they get there and they have a good chance at being in the discussion, that's probably a pennant team that I would kind of take a look at. Yeah, Tampa Bay is one that I had circled. And then you hit on the AL West. I think it's one of those, if you want to take a chance on Houston, I know you don't like Oakland much, or even Anaheim at long odds, I think the division winner comes out of one of those three, obviously. Um, Houston, you have to imagine with the potentially better news on Framber Valdez, they might get him later in the season. Um, Verlander will be a year removed from Tommy John later in the year. Maybe they get him for a postseason run for at least some bullpen work or something. Like they're going to get stronger as the season goes on, potentially. And that's an interesting angle if you want to go about it. So those would be the kind of couple I look at there. But uh, it's tricky because the favorites are the favorites for a reason, as you mentioned. Uh, do you have anybody that's just of interest for you in the NL pennant? Well, you know, in the NL, I think, you know, like, and I'm not going to double down on this. Like I said, I've already got Milwaukee for the World Series. But, you know, I think you kind of have to look at that central division where it's kind of a toss-up. You know, the Mets and the Braves basically have similar odds. You know, I, I don't think the Phillies actually make the playoffs. I thought there was good enough value on 9-1 to one to win the division, so I did it. 
but I don't know if they actually make the playoffs. And even if they do, if it's not Nola in you know a, a wild card game situation or something like that, then they're probably a pretty big underdog in that game. So I think you got to look to the central and just hope that you know you pick the right division winner because that team avoids the wild card game, and, and that's so important because anything can happen in a one game sample. It's such a high variance situation, no matter who the teams are that are in it. You know, let's say that you know. Let's take the Padres, for example, right? Let's say the Padres are the wild card. Well, what if they run into Jacob deGrom in the wild card game? Yep. You know, like, I mean, that's a great team with what? Probably, you know, the second best odds to win the pennant that could be out before even making it to, you know, what most people consider the playoffs Mm because they run into deGrom. Or, you know, let's say they run into the Braves and they just happen to get outscored in that game. You know, so to me, I I try to attack an area of, of weakness, which is the central division. And hope that I pick, you know, the, the team that kind of stands out there. Yeah, no, I like the Central Division call, similar to the AL West call. Uh, if I had to go long shot wise, just because I believe in their starting rotation, so anything can happen in a small series, which we actually saw last year in the postseason. They'd have to be the wild card winner, and they'd have to still run pure. So you're really throwing a lot of what ifs out there. And maybe if you wait a couple couple months, you get a better number. I don't know. I think the Marlins at 33 to one to win the pennant's intriguing just for the fact I think they can, that starting rotation is legit, like very, very good. And um, I'm not saying they can take down the Dodgers or the Padres, but I think they give them more than they could ask for. So I think that's a, an interesting one. If you're feeling like throwing a couple, you know, five, 10 bucks around there. To that see rotation is so good. Yeah. I mean, in, that, in the playoffs, I that's what goes. Lineup, I wish the lineup was moderately competent because that, yeah. that rotation is so good. And, you know, I, one thing I think is really interesting about the Marlins, just you know, from a game by game betting standpoint, or, or just in general, I mean, they're going to induce a ton of ground balls. You know, their bullpen is all ground ball heavy. Their starting staff is the same way. I mean, they're they're built to win low scoring, close games. I don't know how many of them they do, but they are surprisingly dangerous for being in that division, and and you know, clearly being lined as the fifth best team. Yeah, like they, they they wouldn't shock me if they did a run like they did last year because they just need a few runs every game to be in it. And it reminds me when the Giants won their first one, like the pitching was what did it because their offense is dog dog shit basically. So it uh, it's it's very possible. Let's talk World Series futures. You know, obviously everyone's the Dodgers, the Yankees, maybe the Padres. Uh, you like the Brew Crew to get to the World Series, and you, like you said you picked them to win the World Series. What else do you like here? Yeah, and again, that's just that's a hedging play. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I hope they well, win. That's the kind of like my Marlins idea. Like, if you get right. into the, even if they get to the playoffs, you have thirty three to one. Now you can start playing games with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's right. Just get me there. You know, because yeah. again, you win the division, you don't play the wild card game. So that mm-hmm. that's really a big help, and which is why you know I got a piece of Houston at twenty five to one. I think they're still out there at twenty two to one, which is weird to me because you know you look at the odds from BetMGM and and the number one seed in the AL, the Yankees are the favorite, obviously. It's Houston that's number two to be the number one seed at plus 500, but they're 22 to one to win the World Series. That's crazy. And it's like, okay, if you think they're going to be that good and clearly and easily avoid the wild card game, why would they be over 20 to one to win the World Series? I mean, mm-hmm. we saw last year when they weren't even a very good team. They, you know, they took the Rays to seven games after being down 3-0. They beat the A's. You know, they, they cared when it mattered. And, and they were able to flip that switch because they were talented enough to do that. I think Houston is definitely worth a World Series bet here. I don't know if they win it, but I do think they're pretty clearly, to me, the best team in that American League West division. So if they win that division, they don't have to worry about the wild card game where they could face the Rays or or somebody like that. So they get themselves a guaranteed series. They're very much live against anybody they play. 
doesn't matter if they, you know, wound up playing the Yankees in the CS or something like that. They are live. They can beat anybody in the American League. So I think they offer the best equity, the best value. And yeah, you got some young pitchers. You know, hopefully Valdez comes back quickly. And, you know, you got Urquidy and you know Javier and some of the other young guys, but they find arms, man. They yeah. just they develop so well that And they'll trade if they have to. Right. That I'm not really I'm not worried about you know, what they do over the course of the season. The offense should be just fine. I Their their World Series price is probably one of my favorite World Series futures prices I've gotten in the last several years. Yeah, I'm looking at that price. They're like 10th down, 10th or 11th down the board overall. It's pretty crazy because they're really, like you said, they should on paper be the favorites to win the division. So they should be in the playoffs to begin with. And if you just get them into the dance, they're not that they're not the eighth worst team, let alone the eleventh right. worst team. So that that's pretty crazy odds. I like your Brewers pick. It kind of goes back if you just want to take anybody in the central, like Cardinals are twenty, Reds twenty five, um, Cubs thirty three, and then you got the Brewers are forty five right now. But obviously, you don't want to pick any, but just get some strategy involved there. Who do you think wins the division and go from there? There's definitely some leverage to be had. And then the AL or the NL East will be the other fun one because like you have the Braves and Mets are pretty uh, heavy favorites. They got like the Nats and Phillies. You got some leverage there. Just get into the playoffs and you can see what happens. But um, I, I like that, that Astros call quite a bit. They're getting no love in the market for sure. For and a team and that the, really should be good. Sorry. One of the things, too, is, you know, for people out there that may be betting into the World Series futures market, there's very little equity in taking the Dodgers or, or the Padres yeah. or the White Sox or something like that because you're at a price point where you, you either need them to win or you have to start investing more money in other teams as the season goes along to kind of cover that short position that you have where, okay, fine. The Dodgers, I think the Dodgers probably do win the world series, but I'm not betting them at two to one or plus two fifty or four to one or, or whatever you know, the number is out there because I can't do anything with it until they get to the world series. So that's why, you know, Brian and I are talking about taking some of these longer shot teams where you give yourself options. If you take a favorite, your option is they either better get to the CS or they better get to the World Series, depending on your risk tolerance and what you want to get out of that bet. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's why I, we are throwing these numbers out there. Part of the totals game or the um, like the, the 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 futures game is you want to be able to hedge. Like you're you're just you're locking in profit is what you're trying to do. Like you might not leave with a 35 to one profit, but you might leave with like a 20 to one when it's all said and done. That's pretty right. darn good to me. So. Yeah. That that's what you're trying to accomplish, and it's like if you want the Dodgers right now and you believe they're going to win it, which I agree. Like as much as I hate to say it, they should win the World Series. They really should, barring like one or two other teams getting in their way. If they get to the World Series, you can probably get them at like plus one sixty, which isn't far off from what you're getting right now. So if you really like them that much, just wait a little longer because because um, what if they don't get there? Then you lose. But if they get there, you still can get okay odds, not great obviously, but you can get something. And maybe they lose game one, the odds go up. So. There, there's different angles to play there. But, yeah, it's all about the hedging possibility. I think it's tremendous and, and a good point you make there. Um, let's talk MVPs. Let's talk some awards, some individual players here. AL MVP, Mike Trout is the heavy favorite. Um, who do you have with your AL MVP bet? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's pretty easy to go away from Trout because I, I don't know why you'd take two to one on, on an <laughs> MVP market. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of guys I like here, I, I do think that – you know, and, and obviously we'll see, you know, what he kind of looks like at the start of the year if he's able to go right away. But I think George Springer at 25 to 1 is is very intriguing because that ballpark in Florida is a bandbox. I mean, the power alleys are very short. It's not super deep down the lines. He's going to be able to hit for however long they're down in Florida. And then if they go to Buffalo, that's a small park. Or if they actually get to go back to Toronto, Rogers Center is a pretty good offensive ballpark. 
He's in the AL East now where he gets to play at Yankee Stadium, at Fenway, at Camden Yards in the summertime. That's a lot different than playing in Oakland and Seattle. And of course, you know, now uh, Globe Life Field down in Texas. So Springer's really upgraded his park factors. He's at the top of an order that's going to be very, very potent, very dangerous. And you have to keep in mind here, too, this is voted on by people. This is voted mm-hmm. on by beat writers. So you need the counting stats. You need home yep. runs and RBIs and all that other bullshit that, you know, <laughs> that I don't necessarily care about as much being yep. a, a sabermetrics guy. But, you know, we know the old school crowd still loves it. And, and obviously fantasy players still love it, too, with a lot of the standard leagues that are out there. But Springer can do that. He's a good defensive player. He'll, you know, steal a few bags here and there. So I think he just kind of, you know, you think about drafting for fantasy, he kind of covers all of those categories that a wide swath of the voters are going to be in favor of. So I like Springer at 25 to 1, and then also DJ LeMahieu at 25 to 1 for a lot of the same reasons. You know, he puts a ton of balls in play, so plenty of opportunities to rack up some of those counting stats. He's batting in a, you know, premier place in a very potent lineup in a very big market where he's going to be seen, going to be recognized. So I, I like LeMahieu and Springer with a little bit of AL East bias there. I like those two. Can't argue them. Mine is praying for health, but if you give me Shohei Otani hitting 400 to 450 at-bats and over 100 pitches, or hundred innings pitched, I think there's a great chance he is the most valuable player in all of baseball. So, I and again, it's the voters, so it could skew because they'll see certain things, but – if you tell me we get a guy that's an ace for about 100 innings or so, 120 innings, and a guy that's an elite-level hitter, as we've seen in spring and other times in his career, for like 450 at-bats or so, he's the most valuable player to me. Um, it's going to be tough when he has his own teammate Trout in the way. I get it. But and Rendon. Go, and Rendon. But I'm going to go Otani at 40-1. to 1. I think there's a lot of value in the possibility. It's also it's playing on health, like I said, but a 40-1 to 1 on a guy that if he can play all season – has massive MVP potential for me. Yeah, and, and I think, too, and, and this is something I've kind of talked about before on other shows, and it's something I talked about a little bit in, in the betting guide as well. These are beat reporters voting on these things. Yep. So they love a story. They love a good story, and a story that writes itself is Otani. I mean, yep. if he's able to do you know what he's kind of been billed as, there's no other player in the game like him. So it, it makes perfect sense for him to – Get the benefit of the doubt, even if the Angels don't make the playoffs, which is another consideration in all this MVP voting thing where I don't know why the team has to make the playoffs for a guy to win the MVP, unless his name is Mike Trout. But, <laughs> you know, I, a guy, if Otani does that and he's on the field that much, yeah. it's very hard not to pick that guy. So I agree, you're, you're gambling on the health, but you can yeah. do that at, you know, 40 to 1 with a you know fairly small investment to win a good amount of money. Yeah, that's why I figure the odds are they seem too good, but uh, that's usually a bad thing. Um, <laughs> the National League MVP, at least it's a little more spread out at the top here in the National League. But uh, what do you like here? Yeah, I actually I do like a little bit of a short priced guy here in this one, and, and that's Ronald Acuna. I, I know he's only eight to one, but this is a guy that last year had a big increase in his fly ball percentage, and that's going to generate a lot more power for him. You know, I think he'll continue to cut down his strikeout rate as he gets more familiar with the pitchers throughout the league. And again, I just I see a lot more power p- potential out of him, a lot more power production. So I think Acuna is a guy that I definitely like there at eight to one. I think the Braves win the division again, get to the playoffs for whatever that's worth for the voters, and, and we know it at least comes into play to some degree. The other one here, and, and this is a tough one because he's probably going to have to share votes if the Padres live up to their billing. 
but give me Manny Machado at 20 to one. It's good, it's I, good odds, I would not be surprised if Machado has a higher war and much better production than Tatis overall. And I also wouldn't be surprised if some voters look at Tatis and go, well, he got $340 million, so he doesn't need the MVP. I'm going to vote for his teammate instead. You, know, you try to get, you kind of play psychiatrist here a little bit with the voters, <laughs> but Machado at 20 to one for, for the numbers that he could put up playing a premier defensive position on a team that's got a lot of upside and will be a very good offense. I think it's a, a pretty decent value grab. I wish it was a little bit higher, but you know, like you said, the NL market is so spread out that Machado at 20 to one, I, I think is one of the better plays in that price range. Yeah. I, I don't hate it at all. I, I like the idea of going opposite the quote unquote main name there and getting some value when I got, you know, he still could hit 30 plus home runs and steal 15 plus bases and drive in a hundred plus. Like it's going to, the, the options will be there for Machado. Um, my first one, I, I have two as well. My first one's a short one also. I love Acuna. I'm a big Acuna fan. But I'm going Juan Soto. I know it's very popular. He's seven and a half to one. I think he's legit, like the best hitter in baseball, not named Mike Trout. I think if he if things go right, so I like the improvements with the Nationals, we could be talking a potential triple crown type guy power-wise. Like the average is definitely there. Um, and, and RBIs. I, I just love what Juan Soto does. And he wants to run more, which – of course, he says that now. We'll believe it when I see it. But, man, if he can throw in 20 stolen bases, like, goodness gracious. But um, I love Juan Soto in that one. The other one I like a lot at 17-1, to 1, Bryce Harper. Uh, people just love to hate Bryce Harper. And the dude is really, really good on a very good team in a very good ballpark. Um, we've seen what he's like as an MVP. Uh, the, the skills are off the charts. So I like Bryce Harper at his 17-1 to 1 odds kind of uh, – Get, kind of gets overshadowed with former teammate Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna in that same division. So give me Bryce Harper at seventeen to one. Yeah, you know the Soto one. I don't. I don't have a problem with playing. You know, one of the co favorites at plus seven fifty. I mean, it's not like taking yeah. Trout at two to one. And, exactly. and, and and like you said, there's also a correlation in play here too, where you're higher on the Nationals. So yep. why not? You know, take a piece of Juan. He has to produce for that, <laughs> right? If the Nationals get where you think they're going to go, then it's probably because Juan Soto had a monster year and it's very, very possible that he does. And yeah, that wouldn't shock me at all. I, I really think it's between Soto and Acuna to be totally yeah, honest with I'm you. I'm with you. I don't disagree with that at all. And and that, you know, that's fine. And honestly, I hope one of those two guys wins it. And I love that major league baseball is in the hands of guys that are in their early twenties like that. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. If, if we're talking in September that these are the two top finalists for the NL MVP, we've watched a very fun season of baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Like, there's agree. no question about that at all. Um, AL Cy Young, who do you like here? Yeah, you know, the Cy Young, this is kind of a bummer for me because I think one of the three short prices wins it. I think yeah. it's either Cole Bieber or Giolito. I just, I, I don't my really guy. see. I'm not going to hide it. Giolito's my guy. I, I just, yeah. I, I don't really see anybody else coming off the pace because there are a couple of things when it comes to the Cy Young. You know, for MVP, voters seem to be a, a little bit more lenient, I guess I would say. But for the Cy Young, there are certain thresholds you have to hit. You have to strike out 200 guys. You have to throw at least 175 innings. And there are too many guys here in this in the American League where, okay, look, I like Tyler Glass now a lot, but he's probably not going to stay healthy long enough to rack up the numbers he needs. Ryu, eh, probably not. You know, I don't think that his ceiling is the same as those favorites that are out there. Lance Lynn. Maybe, I guess that that one's maybe a possibility at 20 to one. Kluber won't stay healthy. Maeda, you know, he's never had a 200 inning season or anything like that. Lazardo, I can't trust him to stay together for that long. Just too many guys that have too many red flags for me to go that far down the board. 
if I had to pick one kind of off the beaten path and I'd need a better price than what's out there now, but I think Jose Barrios at 20 to one, mm-hmm. just because the twins do so well, developing velocity, increasing strikeout rates, all of that. At some point, this will all click for him, but I need probably 30, 40 to one before I even entertain him. Yeah. I'm trying to justify some long shots here because anybody that's listened to my show knows I'm like all in on Lucas Giolito this year. So I believe he is the next uh, Cy Young uh, candidate and in the I, AL. I agree with you. For like he's worth. so good. And he's adding a third, another pitch. Like, my God, it's going to be awesome. So, yeah, there's really not like I want to say Jesus Lazardo, but I don't think the Indians are going to be there. So no. it's like I, I, his stuff's great, but the Indians aren't going to be there. So it's tough to to really buy into any, like, any of these guys. It's just, yeah, I'm not even going to bother anymore. But, yeah, Gilito for me on this one. Um, NL Cy Young, this is similar to the MVP, a little more spread out, a bit more. So you have some numbers to play with here. The heavy favorites are obviously the heavy favorites for a reason. But I know there's one you like that's a little farther down the board. Yeah, I love Aaron Nola, 12-1. to 1. It, It's a big reason why I'm I'm so invested in the Phillies here with their season win total over and, and that division future. You, you look at Aaron Nola's pitch usage from last year, and he was about 25% across the board with his four best pitches. And we saw the swinging strike rate. We saw the strikeouts. We saw everything that he did. And also, too, he's proven to be pretty durable. You know, I think he had a back-to-back 200-inning seasons in 2018 and 2019, which, again, matters. You know, you have to have the innings to put together the strikeouts and and the numbers that everybody's looking for, the wins and, you know, all that kind of thing. I just think Aaron Nola with an improved bullpen and improved arsenal and showing that durability, I think at 12 to one, he's a a really, really good value. I like him quite a bit. And and another guy, you know, who's, who's sort of in that range that I like a little bit is Luis Castillo, you know, Mm -hmm. extreme ground ball, high strikeout guy. Uh, Now Bauer's not taking away, you know, any of the attention from him and, and frankly, I thought Castillo was as good or better than Bauer last year. And the Reds just continue to work with their pitchers to improve their spin rates, improve all kinds of things. So Castillo and Nola in that 12 to 1 range. And then the last one I'd mention, I think Brandon Woodruff's pretty damn good. You know, Brandon Woodruff's got elite level command, uh, you know, high ground ball guy, so he doesn't get burned by the home run too much, high strikeout rate, good walk rate. If the Brewers are as good as I think they can be, uh, that's another one kind of like you talking about Soto and, and the Nationals. I think Woodruff's at least in that discussion, and, and 25 to 1 kind of intrigues me. Yeah, I'm, you, I, you nailed it. I think Nola is a phenomenal candidate. I think Darvish at 10 to 1 still in play. I think he might get overshadowed in San Diego with, uh, you know, Snell and company there with him. I think he's very, if Bueller had the innings, I take Bueller in a heartbeat. I think yes, he is an absolutely amazing pitcher. I said before 2020, before COVID hit, I'm like, I, I got Bueller winning the Cy Young, and then obviously we saw what happened. So they're going to kind of, play with his innings like the Dodgers do again. If I knew he was going 175 plus, I'd put 10 to one on Bueller right now. Like that's, that's a done deal. But um, outside of Nola and Castillo, I love Woodruff at his 25 to one. I think that's a great price tag um, for the, the pitcher he is. And the innings will not be a concern there. We saw him throw, uh, I think we saw him throw 70 or 80 innings last year. And they already said they're going to get a hundred plus. He had plenty of innings in 2019. So the issue's not there with Woodruff. He's their ace. They need him to throw innings. It's 175 plus for him on the mound. So I love the Woodruff call. Um, people kind of forgot how good he was because Burns like blew up in the second half last year. But if you go and look at those same, that same time frame for Woodruff, he had one bad start. Everything else was absolutely electric. So yeah, he's very, very good. I, I don't disagree with that at all. And, and especially too, I think it's kind of interesting that both you and I looking at guys in the central division where mm-hmm. all five of those offenses are below Horrible. average. And, and that's, and that's the thing about Giolito too. I mean, yeah. I think the Royals will be better, but yeah. You know, I mean, Giolito still a lot of swing and miss in that any offense. lineup. A lot of swing and miss. The Tigers mm-hmm. swing and miss a ton. 
Uh, the Indians don't swing and miss a lot, but I don't think their offense is going to be all that great. Not to mention, they are dog shit against Giolito. They yep. cannot hit that. They can't hit anybody with an above average changeup, and Giolito's <laughs> got one of the best. So, yeah, you know, that, that, that's the thing. You want to look at these futures markets in terms of not only correlation, but also context of, you know, who are they going to face most frequently and will they have success there? And mm-hmm. I think the guys that we've highlighted, you know, can have a lot of success in their matchups. 100% agree. Uh, last one here. It's just kind of a goofier one, but the, the odds are up here. Who do you have winning the home run crown this year? Yeah, you know, I, I always love kind of looking at this one. It, it's sort of one of my favorite articles to write because I get to look at, I get to nerd out. You know, I get to look yep. at fly ball percentage, pull percentage, barrel rates, you know, all that kind of thing. Because you got to hit the ball in the air, you know, and, and pr- preferably for me, I try not to look at guys that have a lot of strikeouts and a lot of walks. You know, guys that are up in the 40% range in, you know, strikeouts and walks simply because they don't have enough opportunities to put the ball in play to try and hit home runs. So one guy that I, I did kind of take a little bit of a look at here, uh, oddly enough, the Red Sox that neither one of us are high on, but I think this is a big time bounce back year for JD Martinez. It's you know, he, he said right away that, you know, last year COVID, he just, you know, wasn't as invested, wasn't as comfortable and all of that. You know, he's got some contract considerations down the line, probably wants to be the next Nelson Cruz and get paid well into his 40s. I think Martinez is kind of a bounce back guy, had a couple 40 plus seasons, uh, you know, before kind of slacking off a little bit in 2020. The the park factor is there, you know, the road park factors are there. And I think that a lot of guys for that Boston team, just in general, are just going to try to put up numbers. They're just going to try to selfishly put up numbers because it's the only way they can win games. Mm-hmm. So I think Martinez is kind of a fun one. Uh, Springer is another one that's pretty fun. Can I talk about the park factor upgrades for him, especially playing in Florida for however long that is? Uh, he's got good oppo power. He's got good pull power. I, you know, I think that that's a guy that that's definitely in the discussion too. Uh, I like both of those. Um, there's the ones that if you feel that health is in play, like Aaron Judge at twenty to one is very live. That that that's an interesting. But health is always a question. We've seen Eugenio Suarez lead the world in home runs before, but. If I want to take a longer shot and have some fun with it, you talk about nerding out and everything. Jock Peterson's going to play every day now, and he's seventy-five to one. That uh, like has it. my attention. Like we still haven't seen him hit lefties yet, but say he say he hits two hundred with lefties, but he's still going to hit him in the air when he hits them. So like you throw that in there, throw a couple of windy days in Wrigley or something, he hits two home runs in a game or whatever. Like, you got to kind of paint a picture in your head that makes it work. But you get Jock at 75 to one, a dude that you wouldn't be shocked if he hits 35 plus. And if the ball is deadened or whatever, like in recent years, it's been low 40s wins at all. So it just takes Jock, you know, playing every day now, running to maybe 40 home runs and he's, he's in the conversation. So 75 to one, I, I it's, it's one that I could see happening. Let's put it that way. So I love that one. I think it's interesting at 75 to one. I love that. I, I didn't even think about him. I, I didn't think about him playing every day. You know, I, I figured he would just kind of be that platoon guy that, he, that he's sort of always been. And, you know, again, that's what we talk about with opportunity. You know, like I, I think Jordan Alvarez could have a monster year, but yeah, I, do, I can't bet on the health. You know, yeah. I, I can't bet on that. He could hit 50 home runs if he gets 600 plate appearances, but I don't know if he will. So mm-hmm. Peterson playing every day, that's, that's a really excellent one. Good call by you on, on a long shot there. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, 75 to 1. Have some fun with it. Throw five bucks on it and see what happens. Who knows? Have you seen CJ Crone anywhere? Not on any odds, but I would take that in two seconds. <laughs> I haven't wow. seen him anywhere either, but I mean, he might hit 30, 35 at home alone. I, I always I always forget it when I'm talking on the podcast because at first I'm, I'm a massive Crone fan, like who isn't a Crone fan. He gets disrespected by every team in baseball because he's on a new one every year, but all he does is hit wherever he goes. And now he's in Coors. 
Uh, Derek Cardi, who runs the bat and the bat X, which takes into stat cast considerations. The second the Rockies signed him to a minor league deal, he spit out the bat X projections. And it's like, I think if he paid 140 games, not even a full season, it was 40 plus homers, like 130 something. It was just <laughs> stupid. It was absolutely stupid. And it made so you couldn't argue it at all. Right. It was like, yep, that's about right. So, uh, yeah, that's a great one. I have not seen that anywhere. I think if it pops up, like it's, they got to put it like at 25 or something. They can't throw it long. Like they got to throw it in there somewhere in the middle because he should just destroy things. I don't know. I'm going to have to look for that one now. You, you got me thinking about it with the Peterson one. I didn't even think about it until now. And I was just like, oh, he's going to play every day and half his games are at course. Yep. That jo- that's, that's very, very intriguing. Um, are there any other futures that you've been looking into that have interest for you? No, I mean, you know, I, I think I've played a few other win totals, but, you know, nothing else that, that really stands out too much. Um, you know, I'm just – I'm excited to see what happens here with the baseball season. I'm excited to have one that, that seems relatively normal, yeah. uh, you know, which which will be kind of nice. And obviously, you know, I, I, it'll be kind of interesting. I, I've sort of had this discussion with some people regarding the NBA about, you know, these NBA teams getting their first round of vaccines and, and everyone having the COVID arm. And, you know, if that becomes a good betting angle to kind of fade those teams if you find out that they had the vaccines – yeah. I'm kind of curious to see what happens with Major League Baseball and, you know, if there is sort of a rollout for the players getting it or, or anything like that, you know, just to see if we, we can find some some one-day or two-day betting opportunities coming out of it. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I saw – I haven't read the article yet, but I saw a tweet about it with like a little blurb above the tweet to get you to read the article that the Players Association and MLB are making a, a, a kind of new agreement to the safety protocols to incentivize players to get the vaccine that says you don't have to wear masks anymore. You can sit next to your teammates on the planes, like all these things. Basically, basically, you get to live life like normal if you go and get your vaccine, which kind of be should be how it is technically. But um, they're they're telling the players this, and it's like, hmm, okay, this is going to be interesting. Because I know uh, I saw, I think it was Arizona, the D backs, they went and got most of their guys vaccinated because in Arizona during spring training, you could go and volunteer at vaccine sites. And if you volunteered, you got shots. So teams were sending their players there to help for the day to do water and stuff to get the shots. So it was interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we'd be privy to that information necessarily. Cause I I guess, I guess HIPAA kind of exists in some contexts still nowadays, but yeah, (laughs) yeah, that, I don't know, man, it'd be interesting to see. And and, and I just, I, I just hope that we don't have any long COVID pauses with teams where, they wind up playing, you know, twenty-seven inning doubleheaders. We don't need, or something we don't need the like Cardinals that. again. We don't need yeah. the Cardinals situation. Like that ruined them last year. Right. That's why yeah. I'm pretty much giving all their players a buy. Like you guys just got COVID <laughs> screwed. Um, I got two listener questions, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, Mike Schwarzenbach asks, if you were in a state with legal sports betting with twenty dollars cash, what is the one futures bet you'd make? Oh man. Well, I guess if you only got 20 bucks, you're not hedging anything. So I, I guess, I guess with that in mind, it would probably have to be a win total. And, uh, I, I'll tell you what, man, I, we've talked a lot about the Phillies. I, I like Phillies over 80 and a half. That, that's probably the $20 I'd put down. And the nice thing is, you know, a lot of these states around Philadelphia, including Pennsylvania, yes. have betting. So I guess that one's, uh, pretty geographically relevant too. Oh, I didn't even realize this when I talked about the AL MVP, but solely asks a couple weeks ago, I threw down on Shohei Otani AL MVP at forty to one. Do you like it or not? I like yeah. it. You thumbs I think, up on that one. Yeah. If he's if he's healthy, I mean, yep. there, there are far worse bets you can make at forty to one. That's for sure. Yeah, you put twenty bucks down on that, and he stays healthy. I I like your odds. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So we're good there. But Adam, that'll wrap us up for another fun episode on the show. Uh, go ahead and plug everything again. Let everybody know where they can find you. 
Yeah, first again, sorry for having to run and grab the door there. I hope it's not no. too much of a pain hey, in the ass. You had a very no, you had very important priorities there. I do not blame you for that for all. <laughs> no, you can find my work over at ATS.io. Uh, there is a landing page with all the links to the betting guide content, so you can just you know open up new tabs and, and kind of look through it that way. You can find that link on my Twitter page at Skating Tripods, and then also underneath that pin tweet uh, is a link to the PDF in my Google Drive of the 2021 MLB betting guide. I do a daily article that'll start on Thursday. I do a podcast twice a week called the betters box. That'll be on Monday and Thursday uh, after next week. I'll do a show on Monday with the national championship game, but then Thursday do baseball and then Monday, Thursday uh, after that. But yeah, I mean, baseball is my passion, my, my favorite love here in the, in the sports and sports betting world. So looking forward to the start of the season and uh, you know, looking forward to everybody's content. There are so many people in this space they do an excellent job. And, and I gave Brian a lot of attaboys for his podcast last week. I'll do the same with you here. A lot of great content. And there's a lot of carryover between fantasy content mm-hmm. and actionable info for betting on baseball. So, you know, all of us kind of uh, looking for the same goal there and making money. And, and I think a lot of this content and consuming as much of it as you possibly can really helps. Yeah, I, I echo that. There's so much of it. That's why when I went on Brian's pod, we... He asked me, we did a pot on DFS, but how it translates into making money. And like we've talked about it here, there's a lot of similarities in what we're trying to do to get to the end game. So I like that quite a bit. I, like I guarantee you, anybody that watches my stuff or reads my stuff for DFS, if you read Adam's stuff on the same day, it would help you get to the right decision making by the end of the night. I guarantee you on that. So uh, go check all that out. Again, follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. But Adam Burke, pleasure, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 357, your 2021 MLB bets with Adam Burke. Catch you guys later. <laughs>